Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. The date stamp on this one is March 25th, 2016. Uh, a lot of stuff happened this week. Obviously, the lead story has to be um, the ISIS attack in Brussels um, and a lot of stuff happening in the news with regards to that, the reaction to it, uh, lack of reaction to it, or just the stupidity that is our current presidential race and how low it digressed this week. Um, Let's start off with what happened in Brussels. And there was one person in particular who I think absolutely nailed uh, the message that should have been sent with regards to this attack. And it was uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And I'm not going to paraphrase it. I'm just going to go ahead and play what is a minute and 45 second message, which I think just absolutely summarized it perfectly. So this is Benjamin Netanyahu calling for political unity following the Brussels attacks. Listen in. I want to first send my condolences to the families of those murdered in today's terrorist attacks in Brussels. The chain of attacks from Paris to San Bernardino to Istanbul to the Ivory Coast and now to Brussels and the daily attacks in Israel This is one continuous assault on all of us. In all these cases, the terrorists have no resolvable grievances. It's not as if we could offer them Brussels or Istanbul or California or even the West Bank. That won't satisfy their grievances because what they seek is our utter destruction and their total domination. Their basic demand is that we should simply disappear. Well, my friends, that's not going to happen. The only way to defeat these terrorists is to join together and fight them together. That's how we'll defeat terrorism. With political unity and with moral clarity. I think we have that in abundance. Well, he absolutely nailed it. Um, I mean, that, that speech to me is just the absolute best statement with regards to ISIS and terrorism right now. Um, You know, the the problem with this quote-unquote war is that it's undefined. Um, And it's undefined because of the ultimate goal of ISIS, which is what Netanyahu calls it. It's a fight for the utter destruction of anyone that is not one of them. And even if you are one of them, you are asked to sacrifice yourself by wiping out others. Um, I I don't think there's a better way to state that. I have to be honest. And I heard Hillary Clinton's speech. And listen, you know, politics aside, 
it was a good speech. Um, unfortunately, it, it comes from a person who, to me, is as much to be blamed for the current state of terrorism and our involvement in wars across the nation as anyone having been a secretary of state. Um, she's got blood on her hands in, in a way because she's part of what is this bigger machine and, and our involvement. And she, listen, she voted for the war back in you know 2002 with Iraq and and moving forward, her decisions have not shown me anything that would really lend me to believe that she would make wise decisions. Uh, I know Barack Obama has been getting a lot of heat because he's in South America and hasn't really broken away to, you know, make any significant statement with regards to the attacks. And as far as I'm concerned, what I'm seeing from Barack Obama is this is a guy in his last year of his presidency taking the high road. Uh, he is not about to send troops into war. Um, I mean, his whole goal of his presidency was to pull and withdraw troops out of the Middle East, which he succeeded in doing. Unfortunately, you know, listen, he inherited a war that, you know, in, in hindsight, I think everybody can agree was a bad idea. Um, the problem with that bad idea is that we compounded it by making it even worse when we failed to do what was necessary and right in rebuilding the region. And, and I keep, God, I, God knows how many times I've said this in podcasts, but you don't abandon a region. Um, you don't just simply withdraw your troops. You have to go and you have to build infrastructure. You have to build schools. You have to build hospitals. You have to provide these people with the tools that they need to move on and exist in what ultimately you want, which is a democratic society. You can't just leave it to them and say, here you go. Good luck. I hope it works out. So, you know, unfortunately, when you go to war in these countries, you can't, there is no going to war and leaving. Um, you're, you're kind of stuck there. And I think Obama at this point, I think his concern is in the last year of his presidency, he's not about to start a war and he's not about to start a war for a couple reasons. One, he doesn't want to do what George Bush did. And he's, I think, Partially, I think he's concerned about his legacy. Um, two, I don't know that he's going to get authority or, you know, it's right now it's all political. It, it's all whether or not, you know, the, the Congress is going to go along with them. It's all right now. Everything is jockeying for position for the White House and control of the White House and control of the House and Senate in a big, big, big election year. So he's going to take the high road uh, for the, the rest of this year. So I, I don't think we're going to see anything significant other than, you know, some strategic bombings, which is what we've seen. And those strategic airstrikes, while, you know, this, they, they absolutely serve a purpose. This is a war that does not end. This is a war that's continual until you somehow can wipe out ISIS, um, which I don't even know if that's possible. Um, it's just going to be ongoing. You know, the interesting thing that I saw this week was the reaction to it here in the States. And we saw in New York City, the mayor and the police commissioner um, try to calm New Yorkers by saying, you know, we are taking all necessary precautions. And although there was a bombing in the subways there, look, our, our subways are safe. And the police commissioner and the mayor take a subway ride. 
That to me is such an insult to my intelligence. That to me is so placating to our society to try to convince me that our subways are safe because you can ride the subway with a camera on you, secret service all around you, all kinds of protection around you. Listen, this was not you just decided on riding the subway by yourself and took the subway to work. So please don't be patronizing to me, you know, and say, look, here I am. I'm the mayor and I'm, I'm, look, I'm going to act like an ordinary Joe and get on the subway. Yeah, you're an ordinary Joe with a camera crew and cops all around you and secret servicemen all around you. So please don't don't be patronizing to me and, and try to give me a sense of security that way. Um, you know, you want to tell me where you're taking all precautions. We're doing everything necessary. That's fine. But, you know, don't show me. Oh, look, here I am. I'm on the subway. I'm fine. And, and say you're fine, too, because that, that's just such a terrible example. And we just saw this re- repetitively. Um, Ted Cruz started making statements about how we have to go into our Muslim communities and really start, you know, basically profiling um, and, and, you know, doing whatever is necessary in these communities to safeguard our, you know, everywhere else. Ah, listen, you know, I don't know enough about the FBI, the CIA and the inner workings of keeping this country safe. Um, since nine 11, with the exception of, Boston, with the exception of, what was it, San Bernardino, California. I have to tell you, I think all in all, knock on wood, we've been relatively safe. I mean, we've had as many school shootings, you know, by just dangerous kids and people with guns as we've had terrorist attacks, if not more school shootings or just shootings in general, mass shootings, than we've had acts of terrorism on our own soil. So, you know, in in terms of that, I I do feel there is a level of safety. The thing that makes me concerned is when I see a JetBlue travel agent or stewardess fly across country, New York to L.A., get through the airport with 70 pounds of cocaine. 70 pounds of cocaine. I want you to think about 70 pounds of cocaine. First of all, when you bring on a suitcase, they weigh it, and it's got to be 50 pounds because if it's a pound over, you know, they they charge you $10,000 for every pound over. You go over 50 pounds, right? You go through that whole airport security thing. Well, she's got 70 pounds in her carry-on. Now, granted, she's a stewardess. I guess she goes through a different type of um, check-in process that the rest of us go through. Fine, whatever. She gets this 70 pounds on. There's a problem right off the bat because now we have to say to ourselves, we have to start checking all of our airplane crews and making sure that none of them are doing anything illegal. They might as well go through the metal detectors like the rest of us now. I think we're at that point. I don't think they should get any special treatment because at this point, you got to suspect anybody and everybody. So she goes through security. She gets through the airport. She realizes she's got problems. She, She panics. She does whatever she does. Bam, drops everything, takes off with the 70 pounds of cocaine left behind. Here's the crazy part of this story. She gets back on a plane as a wanted person, flies back to New York where she hands herself in. What that tells me is that 
our security in this country when it comes to having people on a wanted list and preventing them from getting on planes or doing whatever or getting around this country, our security stinks because that woman was able to do that. So I wonder why we're safe right now. Is it just a lack of effort on the part of terrorism? Are they planning something much bigger and it's just taken that much more time? Because, I mean, obviously we have holes. So on the one hand, I feel safe because we've actually done a really good job considering, again, San Bernardino and Boston are the only two events. Um, You know, we've had more shootings just by people going nuts. On the other hand, I look at something like that and I say to myself, man, we got problems here. So, I, I, you know, who knows what the security status is of our country in terms of globally. I mean, Europe appears to be an absolute mess right now. Um, there's, they, they've, it's a sieve. You just have people pouring in from, the, you know, all of these Muslim nations that are just, you know, refugees or whatever you want to call them, um, just leaving their countries, fleeing Syria uh, whether it's for political asylum or if, if it's to do damage, who knows? Uh, but U- Europe is just a sieve right now, and they, they can't do anything to stop this. The thing that surprised me about the attack in Brussels is Brussels seems to be a very accommodating city for Muslims. Whether you're radicalized or not, it seems to be a very safe place to conduct an attack in a place where you're safe and welcomed really makes you know it makes you think i mean there's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing which is why netanyahu's speech to me was so on point because there there's there's no methodology here i mean basically they attacked a city that's accommodating to them and they've brought attention to themselves in that city. So that the whole thing really just doesn't make sense. Um, you know, Tr- Trump and Cruz, th- their statements with regards to how to deal with the situation, to me, just are ineffective. Again, I thought Hillary Clinton gave a great speech. I don't trust her. I don't think that she could actually carry out anything of what she said. I think that, you know, it's it's one of those things where you say it's great rhetoric, um, but other than that, I, I just don't know, you know, what what she could possibly, how she can make that speech almost with a straight face, considering it. You know what? You're part of the problem. Why don't you talk about what you did as Secretary of State to try to prevent this from happening? What didn't work, and now what you're going to do? But don't just say we have to do this. We have to do this. What, what, what do you mean we have to do this? You're there. This has been your job. Don't say, you know, these are all the things we have to do. Tell us what it is the Secretary of State you've been doing, why it's still happening, why that isn't working, and what we need to do moving forward. So, again, to me, she's going to say anything she can to to stay elected. There was another story that happened here that broke, I guess it was on Thursday, um, the 24th, with regards to Emory University. Uh, Emory University is located in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I, I think the school is, is it's kind of on a small side. Um, 
If I could look it up real quick, I'm going to say it's under 10,000 students, just just based on what I've seen in the news and, and just my knowledge of the school. Um, here we go. Emory University. This is based on colleges. Uh, USnews.rankingsandreviews.com. Um, it is in Atlanta, Georgia. Tuition, 46,314 students. Yeah, 7,829. Not a big school. Student-faculty ratio, 8 to 1. That's pretty amazing. It's an old school. It founded in 1836. Been around a long time. Going on 200 years. Um, private co-ed. Uh, apparently what happened is somebody at the school, student or otherwise, um, wrote in chalk, Trump, Trump 216, um, and the, the chalk messages created a hysteria at this university where students actually said they no longer feel safe. They no longer feel safe because there's a student that wrote Trump in chalk on the ground. And if you look at the writing, I mean, you're talking about whoever wrote this. I mean, I can find a 10-year-old that can write it. I mean, block letters. Um, I, I guess we got to give them credit for being able to spell. They spelled Trump right. You know, nowadays college students, who knows if you're even going to get it right. But... I mean, this school went absolutely berserk over this. And students needed emergency therapy. I am not making this up. You've got to look up these stories. Uh, just Google Emory and Trump. And it's absolutely amazing how someone writing Trump's name in chalk caused students pain actual pain and emergency counseling. I mean, there were people that were firefighters, cops, emergency responders that worked at ground zero during and after 9-11 that didn't get this type of emergency treatment that was needed by these students. I mean, th this is absolutely insane. There were people in Brussels just this week that were involved in bombings that are already sitting around with candles doing vigils and praying that don't need emergency treatment for what they went through, which is actual attack, violent attack, explosions. I mean, but to say that writing Trump on stairs is a safe space violation, I mean... This is absolutely amazing. Here's, here's one of the quotes. Yesterday, the Emory community was witness to an act of cowardice. They did not do this merely to support the presidential candidate, but to promote the hate and discrimination that goes along with them. While some students only see the name of a potential nominee, others see hostility and venom, which, they pro which promises to destroy lives. I mean, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding You know, the fact that Emory students are so fragile, so terrified of just seeing a word, Trump. I mean, this isn't even a political statement. This is just a candidate's name. And because they dislike it, 
they had to seek immediate comfort through authority figures on campus. I mean, this is insane. But what's even more insane is that these authority people on this campus were more than willing to give them this coddling. That, to me, is just absolutely insane. This is, I mean, you want to talk about being traumatized. I think I need emergency therapy for the fact that we are coddling kids that are traumatized over seeing the word Trump. I mean, you know what the cure for an offensive chalk writing is? It's an, it's an effing eraser. It's a hose. It's anything that can clean it off the ground or off wherever it was written. Are you insane that you need therapy for just seeing somebody's name? So what, what happens if you see the name Hitler? What happens if you see a real name? That brings fear to people. So we have a president who's in Cuba shaking hands with Castro, whose brother was one of the most vile dictators we've had in our recent history, who oppressed his people. Castro doesn't bother you, but the name Trump does. Well, what were you doing when he was on Celebrity Apprentice? I mean, were you just, oh my God, were you blocking NBC? Could you not bear to watch the Miss America pageant or Miss Universe or whatever the hell pageant he's involved? I don't even know what he's involved in. That you're this bothered? I mean, I am sorry. Where are the parents? Where are the people in this country right now that should be standing up screaming, screaming out loud at the outrage over the fact that these kids are this soft, that these kids are this sensitive, you should be absolutely beside yourself with rage that this is what we are raising in this country. There has to come a point in time where people start looking at their kids and saying, wow, I I screwed up. I screwed up, man, because my, my kid... Seeing the name Trump really bothered you that much? You know what? Get another piece of chalk and make like the T, draw like, make it into a penis or something and make a joke out of it. But not that you go run to, to a counselor and get therapy. Wow, we have really, really gone so far off the, the course here, people. This is insane. This is really disturbing to me that this is where we are. I mean, I I don't I can't be any more upset over something than I am over the lack of reaction that should be pretty much unanimous across the country. You know, and this is the problem that I see in the world and in our nation. It's you know, everyone is ready to jump on the side of sensitivity and and ban this word and ban that word. Where are the people that should be speaking out for certain logic? Like, you know what bothers me about the whole thing in Brussels? Where are the, the leaders? Where are the Muslim leaders? Whether it's heads of state or parts of the Muslim religion and faith stepping forward and making the announcement 
like Netanyahu did that says, this isn't us. This isn't what we're about. It always seems as if Barack Obama has to make that speech for someone else. It always seems like Hillary Clinton has to make that speech. It almost seems like everybody but someone of that faith is making the speech for them. When are we going to sit back and say, listen, uh, one of you got to step forward and, and tell the rest of the world, this is not who and what you are. And it's possible that I'm ignorant and I don't realize that it's happening out there. And if it is a happening out there and our media is not giving attention to it, well, then shame on you, media, because that's what I want to see. I want to see this statement coming from the people that are closest, the, the people that this is your religion, this is your faith, and you have these radicals running around making your faith look despicable. Where I want to hear you talk about it. Much like me, I will say, listen, I am Christian. I have Buddhist principles, Christian principles. I don't go into churches anymore unless they are empty. I do not participate in mass. I will go to a funeral mass. I will go to a wedding. But that I go to church on a regular and consistent basis, I don't do it. Because I will not let the hypocrisy that is the Roman Catholic Church exist the way it does. That we have a pope telling people build bridges and not walls. Meanwhile, your entire Vatican City is surrounded by a wall. Yeah, I'm sure you would build a bridge, Pope. And you would build it made of gold and marble. And you would have soldiers at the end of the bridge collecting a toll to let people across. I mean, come on. The hypocrisy of the Roman Catholic Church. And listen, I'm calling it out with even regards to, my God, the, the, the movie that just won uh, the Oscar. Look, the, the, the whole church scandal and, and all of that stuff that was happening. To me, the, the fact that the Roman Catholic Church hid these stories, buried these stories, that hypocrisy screamed out to me. And I was the first, I disassociated myself. And anyone who's part of a religion that sees that happen, you have to disassociate yourself from that. And you have to call it out. Much like I had a whole thing that I talked about, the sexual abuse of children, how four to six Four to six percent of kids in our public schools will be sexually assaulted by a teacher in public schools, which that number absolutely crushes what the Catholic churches do. So I tell people, listen, our public schools are no better. And I call our public schools and our public school teachers and administrators out on that, too. You know, so you you have to call out the part that you belong to. And say, listen, this is not, they don't represent me, which is why I say, listen, priests don't represent me. This Pope does not represent me or my beliefs or my faith. That comes from me, man. That, that's my own praying. That's my own way. I, I deal with that my way. When are we going to hear this from Muslim leaders around the world that say, listen, we denounce ISIS and ISIS, please stop using our religion, our faith as this you know, jihad cry that you have. Where is that? I, I want to hear that come from them. You know, and I want to hear our parents of these kids. I want to start hearing parents say, you know what? We, I'm, I screwed up. That's my kid saying that at Emory. Pfft, 
I failed. I failed as a parent if my kid is that soft. That seeing a word written in chalk on the ground brings that kind of, I mean, just absolute collapse of an ability to deal and, and, and recognize it's just a word written in chalk. When are people going to start assuming the blame and responsibility for their own? This is the problem. Start assuming responsibility for your own. We are not doing this in this country or worldwide. Everyone loves blaming other people. Everyone loves pointing figures. Man, start taking care of your own house and everything's going to be fine. So, I I mean, the the Emory thing blew my mind. Blew my mind. Um, With regards to other stuff going on here in in the election and, and the Republicans are just Man, it, this is a, a mess. This is an absolute mess, what's going on. Just when I thought this thing was getting bad, um, someone who's running a, a campaign, um, one of these committees for Trump, puts out a picture of his wife, Trump's wife back from her modeling days where I guess she's posing naked, laying down or whatever, And, you know, this was all done to tick off the Mormons in in Utah, a state that Trump had no business winning anyway, Um, especially when that Romney comes out and gives a a, I endorse Cruz and Romney. You know, he owns Utah basically with his Mormon religion, everything. Listen, Donald, you're not going to win Utah. The fact that this campaign puts out a picture of your gorgeous wife sprawled out on this, you know, what what to me was a very complimentary picture showing her beauty. Leave it alone, man. Leave it alone. Walk away from that one and say, yeah, that's my wife. Isn't she a knockout? And you are so ahead at that point in the way you deal with that. But when you then come out and tweet from your own Twitter, your own private Twitter account, a picture, a side-by-side of Ted Cruz's wife and your wife, what that showed me was your inability to control your emotion. It showed me your inability to deal with the situation and say, you know what, if you're one of your super PACs is going to attack my wife, and again, Ted, you know what, you attacked my wife, this is one of your super PACs, show me what type of leader you are and denounce them. And Ted Cruz should have denounced them immediately and said, that's not who and what we are. And unfortunately, Trump doesn't give him an opportunity to. Trump then tweets the picture out of the side-by-side, and now Cruz says, listen, I wasn't in control of the super PAC. I don't know who did that. I don't know why they did it. But you attacked my wife. So now he gets to go on the offensive. Here's the problem. Ted Cruz never takes the responsibility for his super PAC. And again, doesn't say to his super PAC, shame on you. That's not who and what I'm about. Much like the Muslim leaders don't do with ISIS, Ted Cruz, you're no better. And as far as Trump, the fact that you reacted as emotionally as you did and immediately went back with this side-by-side picture and said whose wife is hotter, What that shows me is a couple things. One, you have no control over your emotions. Two, whoever is in charge of your campaign, whoever is your handler, should have sat there, looked at you before you did that, and said, Donald, please, for the love of God, 
don't do this. You don't need to stoop to that level. You're going to win this one. You're going to come out of this one smelling like a rose. Leave it alone. Let's let Ted Cruz swim in his own crap for a little while and let him deal with that situation because he should address that super PAC. And by not addressing the super PAC, we're going to then point out his inability to lead. But you don't give him that opportunity to fail. You take action. That only tells me, Donald, that you don't have the people around you that can guide you in the proper way. And if you don't have the people around you that can guide you in the proper way, then in my opinion, whenever you say in a speech, I have great people, I have wonderful people, we're going to put wonderful people in charge, we're going to do great things, we're going to make America great again, we're going to start winning. Now I got a question, what wonderful people are you going to surround yourself with? Because the people you're surrounding yourself with right now can't control you, can't guide you and steer you in the right direction. That's that's bothersome to me. And and I think that that was a, a true sign of a weakness in Donald Trump. Um, so I, I really would have liked to have seen a lot more there. Um, I mean, those were the big stories right now in, in the country. That's what I've seen going on. Um, it's it's you know, the, unfortunately, it, it's hard to Trump Trump. <laughs> it's hard to talk about anything other than that act of terrorism that we saw. Um, you know, it, it's sad, man. The, the world, you know, especially Europe right now is is it's really under siege. It's under fire. And, you know, I pray for the people of Brussels and Turkey and, you know, here in America, we keep changing our profile pictures on Facebook, different flags. And, you know, it, it, we're, it's going to be a flag every week now with the way things are going. Hopefully, the world will unite. Hopefully, Netanyahu's message does resonate throughout the world and the countries and the leaders start taking a more proactive approach in fighting ISIS. Um here at home, you know, I, I hope we have better safeguards than to let a person who's on a wanted list for seven, 70 pounds of cocaine to get back on a plane. And, man, we just have no chance at getting a good president this next go around. It's really scary. This has been a depressing podcast. Wow. I feel like I should do another one on just some, you know, innocuous. Maybe I should talk about baseball starting next week. Just to give us something fun to talk about. I don't know. Oh, here's a fun thing to talk about. Sarah Palin is doing a pilot for a judge show. Yeah, Sarah Palin is getting a judge show, and I'm not. I want you to think about that. Sarah Palin is getting a judge show, and I'm sitting here in my office doing a podcast by myself. Can't get a judge show. That's that's a funny way to end this podcast. I think that's the best way to do it. I'm that kicking the ass that is my entertainment career. Everybody, have a great week. I'll leave you on that note. Thanks.